When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. When you complete a bit of research like this, there must, you know, it must sort of go in you and go, well, because I found this out, what what's the next thing I'm going to, you know, go to? Because by finding information, it's what you do with that information, which is awesome. So I'll go to you, Megan, you know, out of, of going through this process, what are the sort of things that you're starting to think about? I think that the most important thing with research is, is like you said, getting it out there and communicating it to a wider audience rather than just the scientific mm. community. Because, I mean, yes, that's awesome to do that, but, you know, you, you're you're preaching to people who already know these things. So it's about, you know, communicating your research and your findings to the broader public and finding the, the sort of like the deeper meanings behind the research. So, yes, we found plastic in 90% or over 90% of the boluses, but what does that actually mean? And this is this is something that both Lil and I are fairly passionate about and, and it's about, you know, ed- educating people about their own plastic use. I mean, everyone has all heard about the, oh, yeah, just, you know, swap out your plastic bags for the green bags and, refuse your straws and use metal straws instead and we're constantly getting sort of saturated with this sort of information and a lot of the time it's the same and it is awesome if you can do all of those things and I am by no means saying don't do that continue doing all of those things but it's you know we've heard so much about it that there's it's more than just you know swapping out your plastic bags and that kind of thing so you know, with, with Lil and I, and Lil will have some, some things to say on this. We, we really want to sort of, you know, empower people to make those changes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's about making like a huge collective effort. So it's not, it's not enough for just one person to make huge changes themselves. It's about everyone making small changes because it's those small changes that will make a big difference. In the end, the old one percenters, um, a recent podcast um, guest, uh, name's gone. But um, if you made a one percent change every day for a month, at the end of the month, you've made a thirty percent change. You know, it's uh, you, you, you bang on Megan. Yeah, but that's it's really important for people to understand that. You know, like perfect example, my vegan friend friend Brad. You know. <laughs> Brad uh, has made change in me. Well, I'm probably a, a 40% changer because, you know, you start thinking about it, you start whatever, and, and, and I feel great for it, you know. Um, and then I pass that on. And then, you know, those little one percenters make a massive difference. So, um, yeah, yeah, right. Like, like if you want to use a vegan analogy, uh, in, in my world, I'd love 100% of people to be vegan, but, uh, you know, what's more effective? 10% of people being 100% vegan or 90% of people being 
Yeah, mostly vegan. Uh, it's it's the latter. Um, so it's, it 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 is often those incremental changes, and and like uh, Megan's uh, so eloquently described, it's about sort of sharing that knowledge and sort of uh, feeling as though people are uh, educated and also subsequently empowered. And I think it was Lillian at the start of the um, show. She was saying, "Look, there's all these environmental issues, and it's you know, climate change, deforestation, and plastic pollution. It can be quite daunting." But I, I think. I've said many times that, you know, if we focus on just one thing at a time, even, even if as individuals, um, and make incremental changes and, and, and often use those activities and initiatives to solve one issue, often help with others. And I still, I always maintain that plastic pollution. Yeah. It's a big problem. It's one actually we can easily solve. And I suspect we'll use the, the sort of, I guess the strategy, the framework behind addressing the plastic pollution problem and solving it. And we will solve it using that same approach to solve the other problems. Well, just before we go to your answer, Lillian, do you guys know roughly 35 36% of microplastics in our oceans comes from our clothes? I, I wasn't sure of the exact figure, but I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware that a lot of our microplastics come from our own clothes. So mm. every single time you wash your clothes, there will be, thousands of microfibers going out into the wastewater and a lot of our wastewater treatment plants at this stage cannot account for those microfibers because they're so small mm. so the filters aren't aren't suitable they're not they're not enough so yeah those microplastics are just getting washed straight down into our waterways and straight out into the oceans and and then, and then what? So, like, you know, it, it's hard enough trying to collect all the big pieces of plastic that are in our ocean. How do we collect the the tiny pieces that we can't even see? It's yeah, yeah it's it's crazy. And what about you, Lillian? Like, did you know that off the cuff? Because I mean, Brad and I, to be honest, we did a podcast what a week ago, and um, it's I mean, Brad wears spandex even on a Saturday <laughs> night. He was like, it's just made Especially on a Saturday night. Yeah, especially. Um, (laughs) He was going, it's this whole thing made of plastic. Neither of us had any idea. Like, this is one of the best things about this podcast. It gives us the great excuse to get on the, on the phone and, or on the Zoom and, and talk to really, uh, like, to be honest, much smarter people than we are. And also join the dots. Like, uh, Jeremy talked about Dr. Janice Brainy talking about, yeah, finding all this microplastic pollution, uh, in these remote areas in the, in the U.S. national parks and just commenting that, oh, yeah, m- most of it's from clothing. And Jeremy and me were like, that's weird. And then literally a week later, we bumped into this, uh, textile, uh, Expert COVID um, bumped, you know, via yeah, Zoom. Yeah, you know. yeah. Doctor Do- Doctor Rebecca Amber from RMIT, who sort of said, "Yeah, yeah, clothing is a source of about thirty five percent of microplastic pollution in our oceans, and most of it's coming via laundries." And prior to those two chats. Neither of us had any idea about this issue and the problem and potentially subsequently how to solve it. So anyway. We're, we're, we're actually not saying that we're very smart. These Both <laughs> these guys know. So Lillian, you, you know, both of you guys knew that. I didn't know it was quite that much. I definitely mm. was aware that microplastics and, yeah, microfibers and that sort of thing is, is definitely a prominent issue. I think for me, though, the reason that, that is not as common knowledge as, you know, all the other big chunks and, and the fishing gear that's discarded in the ocean is that, again, it's something that we can't see. If we can't see it, we don't know it's there. And mm. that's literally one of the, the biggest reasons that microplastics and nanoplastics is an area of our field of research that just, you know, if we can't see it, how do we know it's there? How do we know what to look for? How do we know what we don't know? Like it's mm. – I hope that's making sense. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, 
Lillian, come work in our field. Um, we're in stormwater. Uh, it's below the ground. No one ever sees it. Uh, Another try- glamorous field of research. Oh, yeah. We, we love going down holes. You we're know, we're like- the A team right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and Brad's actually. Oh, when a plan comes together. <laughs> yeah. Brad's actually managed a um, sewage treatment yeah. park, and I talk shit all the time. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> This conversation's really highlighted a couple of key things for me. Like m- myself and Jeremy are often talking about the, the scourge of plastic pollution in our waterways and ocean, and talking about how it's coming from land, and, and a key me- transport mechanism is is stormwater runoff. And and if if I had a pr- prior to talking prior to sort of coming across your research paper and talking to you uh, too, if you had come to me and said, "Yeah, seagull," um, we were, uh, did a, a bunch of analyses of a bunch of seagulls, and they got plastic in their bellies. I would have not thought about the potential source being a landfill of that plastic pollution. No. I would have gone, oh, obviously they're getting that that plastic in their bellies from eating, you know, marine organisms uh, and accidentally ingesting plastic in the same time. But the fact that you guys have highlighted the, that, at least for these gals uh, in particular, in this sort of pristine wetland environment, uh, have got bell. What was it? Eighty-six or nine percent of them have got plastic in their bellies. And let's face it, they're big pieces of plastic in in small bellies of these birds. You can imagine the uh, horrendous impact that that would have on their, I guess, lives and function. Um, the fact that this this pollution is coming from landfills again, for me, just reiterates the point that. As a human species, we're just really bad at managing plastic, and I'd argue that we just we just can't do it. Oh, hold on, hold on. I there's a lot of research, and there's a lot of shit chat out there now about the the, the oil companies coming out with the reduce, reuse, recycle. It's all a slogan. It's all made up from them. So you just said something very interesting. You know, it's all coming down to the consumer, Brad. You know, yeah. we're humans are just really bad. Well, well, I guess with what I'm sort of my point of view, well, are we or are we just like the heroin dude waiting for the next hit because this yeah. is the way we get sold our stuff and it's convenient and, you know, like it's, but, but it's my a balance, point is, I, I think a lot of people take the assumption that oh, as long as I put it in the bin and it's safely transported happen, by the mate. garbage truck and then it goes to the landfill, I think a lot of people would assume that if- City of Bankstown, mate, this week introduced AI. So basically if you're a dick and don't recycle, when it goes in the bin, it gets you know taken by- camera and then it knows that rubbish is from there and it's contaminated and it can track you back to your bin to go you've just contaminated a whole truck we're going to yeah, find you but my point is uh, there's there's this assumption in our community and i would have made probably the same assumption that if a piece of plastic is appropriately picked up by the garbage truck transported to a landfill that's yeah, okay. a, a landfill by yeah, design yeah. is designed to contain waste i would have never have thought that you know what uh, the the bird the bird populations and uh, this is just one landfill and one wetland. You can imagine how many landfills are there across the the the, the planet where birds uh, are essentially and and I guess other sort of species are essentially coming into the landfill, the the smorgasbord that it is to a lot of the, these species, and essentially consuming this plastic and actually essentially taking that plastic out of that landfill. So this assumption that this landfill is a confined. Uh, environment where stuff goes in and doesn't leave is fundamentally flawed. Well, hold on, hold on. If it wasn't plastic, well, I mean, landfills have been around for a long time, bro. So yeah. birds. So, sure. ladies, I'll ask you. So, have you looked into, well, what were they eating before plastic? I mean, we, we've had a lot of shit go to landfill. 
You know, like, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, Brad, when you say I, I never would have thought of birds going to lamp, like, the only thing I can think of is a young buck is going to the tip and seeing heaps of rubbish and heaps of birds because all the yeah, birds but, were but doing. but my question is, would you have thought that those birds are a transport mechanism for pollution or, uh, say, plastic or glass and actually removing that plastic and glass no, out of the no, landfill? And then depositing it external to this so-called confined uh, environment. And obviously from there, when the birds poo or vomit, then that plastic and other pollutants will make its way further downstream and in waterways and in oceans. Go, Lillian. Yeah, you've absolutely just led into my next point. And that was one of the findings from this paper was that these birds are acting as a previously unrecognized mm. transport mechanism. So there's uh, – and Megan can can speak more on this. She's more knowledgeable on this You guys am, are both frothing over that. You guys are like, got ya, got ya. Yeah, we thought of that. <laughs> go, no, go. I was, like, waiting, I was just waiting for you guys to just stop talking so I would be like, okay, so. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah, no. It's, well, it's, no, it's fantastic that you, could, you should say that because that is one of the main findings that we had from this study. So there's plenty of research – previous to ours that says seabirds, like Megan said, collect plastics at sea, bring it onto land either by their poo or when they die, their bodies decompose and it's there or when they're regurgitating it for their chicks at their nests. What hasn't been described as in-depth and it's only just starting to come out in the literature is that these birds are collecting items on land and taking them to sea. And so that's exactly what you just said before is that these birds are feeding at our landfill site. It's open. It's easily accessible. They go to these wetlands and there's essentially a boardwalk that's that's there for tourists and they, they perch on the rails of this boardwalk, give it, you know, a good breath of wind, a good rain, even just, you know, not, mm. not even anything crazy. These little boluses mm. are going to, they weather, they dry out, they decompose, they blow off straight into that wetland, which is a river, and then gets transported to the ocean. And those items are now available to fish, to birds, to whales, to, to everything like that they previously weren't. And so the problem with our current waste management and I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert in waste management, but we see landfills as an endpoint, as it's a hole in the ground mm. or a mountain on top of the ground. It's going to get filled in, it's going to get covered and it will stay there contained. But that's not what's actually happening. There's all other instances such as leachate, such as blowing, mm. such as all kinds of transport mechanisms that stem from landfill. And these birds are just another one that we can add to the list. And so, I mean, we can change the way we handle and contain our waste, but I, like, realistically, that's not that's not the solution. That's just prolonging mm. the, the problem. What we need to do is not put it there in the first place. Mm. And that's where positive change and a behavior change comes from the consumer as well as from a government and industry level. But uh, but just on this, so can I just confirm, and I, we always use the analogy, unless you've got data, you're someone with an opinion. Is this the first time that there's actually been data to definitively show that landfills are essentially a source of plastic pollution external to the landfill via essentially the transport mechanism of birds? I don't think it's quite like the first instance of it. There have definitely been a number of papers um, over the last sort of 10 years or five years, I suppose, which have said, you know, this species of gull is consuming at a landfill and we're finding that their boluses that they de- that they deposit in their colony, wherever that may be, contain these plastics. So this this sort of movement from landfill to to their breeding colonies or their roosting colonies has been described before. But 
we may be the first one to sort of actually sort of propose this idea that the gulls are this sort of new transport mechanism for moving plastics from our landfills where you think that's going to be the end point for that waste to our waterways and then out to the ocean. So I think what still needs to be done as well is that there needs to be some really solid quantification of how much is that, like what and how much. Like, unfortunately, the scope of this study didn't allow that. Had this been a PhD project or a postdoc, this would have been fantastic because we would have had, you know, up to four or five years to, to really dig into it. Unfortunately, we only had nine months. And so we're pretty much just saying this is what's available. The next step would be to in-depth an- like analyze, work out roughly how many boluses, how often they're deposited, how many grams or how many items are in each one and then multiply that and work that out over time, also allowing for the seasonal change and that sort of thing. But I believe there is possibly one other paper that has come out at a very similar time to ours, but there definitely isn't anywhere near as much research stating Mm. or describing this process that we've observed. And that's a really cool thing because, you know, you said it before, you know, having a good perch down on the boardwalk and it gets transported through the river system out to the ocean. How many other things have we not thought about that Mm. go down through the river system and through stormwater? Because we go to conferences and we talk and talk and talk and talk and we talk about accidental litter. Uh, Like there's so many transportation methods, but Mm. one thing we do know is the best one is the veins, is the river systems of our land. I mean, you know, like it's just got me thinking, well, how many other things can, you know, should we look into and identify that are going into our, our river systems like this? I mean, mm. uh, I mean, it just blows your mind mm. when you start talking about going back to the start of this, a million bits of plastic. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Just to confirm, so obviously you haven't got hard and fast numbers around, I guess, the amount of plastic leaving the landfill environment and being deposited external to it, but is it a significant amount of plastic and glass and other pollution? Or are we talk, are we basically, is it almost like an academic sort of amount? If, if we just look at the population that we looked at, so mm. just the Pacific girls, just in the Tamar wetlands, then... You know, on the grand scheme of things, no, it probably isn't a huge amount of plastic. We're not talking like tons and tons mm-hmm. of plastic every single year, but we're still talking, you know, a fairly generous amount of plastic mm. each year that is going into the marine environment and it shouldn't be going mm. into the marine environment. Mm. And then if you consider that 
other populations of girls all around the globe mm. are likely doing this as well. You know, once you add all those things together, it all of a sudden becomes this much larger problem than we had initially yeah. sort of thought it was. So, well, I reckon back in my hometown of Wanaka, uh, the seagulls, if, if you did the same thing there, all they do is eat hot chips out of your hand. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure Lake Wanaka, even though there is still plastic going to Lake Wanaka, I'm pretty sure you'll just find hot chips from the snack shack. But look, Wanaka aside, obviously there are many, many, many landfills across the globe, many many bird species frequenting those landfills. Well, think about India. Oh, Think about the, the mu- massive, like, and th- yeah. there must be a lot of research. I don't know if you guys looked into it because now you know this. Now you can look at other research and then and then model that to go. Mm. Well, if we know this here, what's mm. it like? And you know, can you shed some light on international research around, you know, what you found? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Why you haven't? <laughs> Well, that's the issue. I mean, there probably what isn't have you any been doing? Come on, you've only had nine yeah, months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Bird poo, you know, right. for the last nine months. This, you should this, be doing more. This has gone through some team, Indian bird okay. poo. So to, to maybe just shed a little bit of light on that one. So this study was, in the scheme of things, very, very brief. It yeah. was yeah. It was a matter of months rather than years. And, I mean, Absolutely, I would love to see this get turned into another, uh, some kind of long-term, keep collecting to see if there is even more long-term, so compare our study to that, as well as then dedicate like a whole chapter of that to comparing data globally, doing a literature review, seeing what's around and getting someone who's a lot better with statistics than I am to do some number crunching. But that's absolutely an avenue that should be explored in future research. That aside, like, and I, I look, this has been a fascinating chat. As soon as I, I realized we we're talking to Guano Girl and the Vomit, uh, Vomit Lady, I just thought this is going to be the best podcast ever. But just for the, um, the, I guess the groups managing these landfills, what sort of things can they do to, I guess, minimize this problem? Recognizing that they probably didn't even realize they had a problem. Is it literally just a case of trying to keep birds away, uh, from their landfills? Well, they do it at the airports, mate. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is, it, is yeah. that is that what like essentially? I guess having you know scarecrows and 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 nettings and shot and you know, guys with shotguns or I, I don't know what 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 can landfill operators do to mitigate this problem? Well, they could hire the they could hire the people from the airports because there's no planes flying. What what oh, those guys brilliant. do, jobs? Yeah, <laughs> jobs, jobs, jobs creation, great. <laughs> But, yeah, no, there's certainly no easy option or no solution that's going to fit every, you know, landfill or whatever. But and and it's certainly something that neither Lil or I looks that much into because that that, that could be a whole other paper all by itself. But, I mean, yes, as, as like a sort of starting point, I guess, you know, nets could be used to at least cover some of the, the waste or I guess they could, you know, bury it as well, but then you're going to have problems with leachate and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, so I, I'm just coming back to my first sentence. There is no easy option. I mean, no easy solution to this. So, <laughs> And if I can just comment on that, like, uh, look, and this is something we talked about with Janice Brainy as well, like, uh, and uh, uh, Rebecca as well. Like, uh, you guys have done these amazing research to identify and assess this problem. It's really not up to you guys to actually then come up with an, an appropriate solution, recognizing that you're not landfill operators, etc. But what, what one thing that's really interesting, obviously, this obviously this information uh, certainly allows landfill operators to recognize they've got a problem and uh, ideally do something about it. To be honest, I, I actually look at it and go, look, I'm an engineer. 
I agree with you. I don't think we can engineer our way out of this. Like you talk about nets. No, nets won't work. Yeah, um, we're, our landfill is constantly having to sort of, uh, I guess, you know, bring in new material and you physically just can't put a net. I think the only thing I'd suggest doing is minimising the area of exposed material across a landfill at any one time. But to be honest, I probably think they'd do a, uh, their best in that regard, at least in developing countries. Hey, actually, no, this is how good this podcast is. So um, I'm moving out of the house. I'm going to jump on a plane and go back to New Zealand in, uh, in 10 days' time, two weeks quarantine. Can't wait. Um, <laughs> so subsequently I'm sort of decluttering my house, which I should have done two years ago. It feels so amazing. I've thrown everything out. And cut a long story short, I had to pile everything into the car. I made a mind, didn't turn up with a... Uh, with with a ute, and so I'm up there, and I've got a Tesla, and I'm up, up at the local tip, literally just on Sunday, in between two tradies, and they looked at me like, "Who's this wanker?" You know, <laughs> I'm pulling stuff out of my frunk, which is for the listener, it's your front trunk, your frunk, and I actually now now thinking about it, the amount of it was a real windy day, mm. the amount of like just wind litter and mm. crap getting, it was it was it was yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And how do you stop that? Do you put a roof on it? You know, like it's the best thing about this podcast and best thing about, you know, talking to people like you is there's more questions than there are answers. And that's what we create. And that's what the the best thing is about it. I mean, uh, hopefully for the listeners, you're, you know, everyone's going, oh, I remember this, remember that. And then they'll start talking about it. So those one percenters that you're talking about at the start, Megan. You know, if we can share and, 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 and sharing's a big thing. It's all doom and gloom out there. Everyone's going to die, plastic, you know, well, hold on. You know, if we can all share and what we're doing and, and, and talk about it, we can all educate each other, which mm. stirs other people on to go, Hey, I'm going to go and do that research project. Mm. I'm going to go and do that. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I've had a blast. I mean, this is, this is a really, really cool podcast. I guess that for all the listeners at home, uh, inspired now for with your uh, new research, like, is there any sort of take home messages that you guys would suggest to sort of, I guess, minimize the impact on, uh, of plastic pollution on their own sort of, uh, local bird populations? I'm going to go first and go, Hey, next time you see anyone down listening to music going through what you think is poo, think again. <laughs> don't judge first of all don't judge <laughs> she doesn't need another hit she's just enjoying herself doing some research <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that one no look honestly it's it's really simple if and it's look it's been said of so many of your podcasts it's been you know broadcast through mainstream media it's we've got to stop using these items cutting out everything is not going to be a solution a collective effort, it's going to lessen the burden of the change that we have to make. So if, if we continue to do nothing and if everyone continues to do nothing, the change that we are going to have to make, and I mean, we are already at that point of we've got to do something now because mm. it's kind of already too late. It's just going to get bigger and bigger and less likely and less likely and cost more. And, and mm. that's just, look, you can go into a whole other podcast about cost of this sort of thing. But if we all just start to do little things now, that's shared. So when we do get to the really, really, really critical point, it's going to be like, oh, okay, so we don't really need to do as much. We just mm. need to perhaps change this or provide a different alternative here or put, you know, less money and less funding into, into new technologies because we're already halfway there. Yeah. Essentially, that's all it really is. 
another thing is, and you have spoken about this as well, and I think it's just fantastic and it should be reiterated, is that you got to turn it into something positive. People are going to turn away from that pain. People aren't going to want to reproduce a behavior if all they're going to feel is, oh, everyone's picking on me for for doing this if if you know you say oh just just imagine what it could be like if you know and this is a lot of the conversations I've had with children through when we've taken our project and and done it as a demonstration for school groups for example is just imagine how these birds could live on a beach where there's loads of fish and there's no plastic and they don't get tangled and their you know mm. their stomachs aren't hurting and imagine how great that would be and we know we can do this it's it's really achievable and you've got to really be positive and because mm. people are going to think of that they're going to feel good and they are going to reproduce that behavior so essentially it's we've got to just stop scolding each other i mean look to my friends and family i jokingly say think of the girls but (laughs) i mean you've just got to you know stop shunning everyone be real that it is a massive issue and it's it's really really gut-wrenching being firsthand Mm. getting this data and and seeing these things and some days some days you're sitting there in the lab it sometimes can be fairly lonely and and long days but and you just think why am i bothering why am i why am I doing this? Because this, you know, why? But when you hear kids going, oh, we just told our canteen that we didn't want to use straws or plastic cups and we've stopped. When you think that that's maybe 10 or 50,000 items that you have prevented from going into that environment, into that landfill and then potentially into the wetlands and so on, that's a massive win. And like that, we need science better communicated to people. We need more outreach programs. It needs to be more accessible to people of all backgrounds, all ages, and that is where your change is going to happen. If people can connect with that, feel like they're in it firsthand, feel like they're contributing to something because science is cool. Science is fantastic and kids love it. Kids love getting their hands dirty. So, if you say, all right, kids, we're going to take apart some bird vomit, I had so many kids like jumping and like so excited. I was just like, you guys are strange. But I mean, this is fantastic. (laughs) This is what we want to see. And real change, real meaningful change has happened and we just need to keep that going. Mm, Totally. I can just imagine a kid sitting in uh, one of your classes going, calling me strange, miss. Saw you down the beach the other day with your headphones on. Uh, Oh, no, but you're so bang on. And, 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 And Megan, before we get to you, isn't it funny that this whole environmental movement has been brought, you know, to the forefront of mainstream media via children. You know, Greta Thunberg, to to name a child. You know, why is it that we're reliant on, like you said it before, Lillian, you know, you look at a child, one of the best things was when they're asking questions. Well, we're, you know, we're, we're basically relying on little, little cute kids to go, oh, there's a problem. And then we go, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll listen, you know. It's it's a sad sort of situation where we're relying on the next generation to do something about it. It is. Yeah, it's, it's you know, we're inspired by our children to make a change, but it shouldn't be that way around. We should know to make a change because it's going to be our children who are going to have to live through our failures and our consequences. And if, if we don't do anything about the plastic, then they're going to get stuck with our legacy and, you know, it's pretty grim now and I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in another 30 years or 40 years or, you know. One of the things that I really struggle to grasp with is we are lucky enough that in Australia um, and in other parts of the world, but, I mean, we have access to so much information. We have the internet. I mean, literally, you can you can find out about plastic and seabirds and every other thing that's going on, you know, just typing it into Google. So when we have access to, to all of this knowledge and scientists dedicate their lives to finding the answers, when governments, when people 
you know, more specifically, the older generations are typically the ones that are really hard to change. And that's, that is just a generalization. I understand that, but trying to inspire a child to change his behavior and, and, you know, think differently versus trying to encourage someone who's later on in their life a little bit older, it can be really, really difficult. I just find when we know all these things and we just actively choose to ignore it and actively choose to not make the changes required, that is the thing that is most frustrating. And when you've literally got the answers right there and you choose to ignore them, it is just such a barrier to progress. Look, this has been one hell of a chat. Like Jeremy asked the question, uh, why why are kids sort of more uh, active or motivated to drive change in our, uh, on our planet and protect our planet? I think it's a combination of things. I think kids are more honest. And, you know, we've all heard the term from the mouth of babes. You know, I think kids call it uh, far more frequently than the than the than the oldie fogies, basically. And I guess they have a, a greater vested interest in the the future of our planet because essentially they're going to be enjoying it uh, for a much longer period. But I think another key reason is the fact that kids are essentially more connected. They have that they, they know how to get information readily, uh, you know, fairly quickly. You know. You, you can Google a what is a bolus and find out all about it. I'm spelling it wrong because I, I'm just, <laughs> look, yeah, the, the, the key point is, you know, uh, kids have far greater access to information, and uh, to be honest, scientific knowledge and science just isn't limited to the the I guess the the old old men and with white hair and in lab coats. Basically, it's up to a whole real diversity of individuals and 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 yourselves included and I think but a key thing that, that I've seen in in recent times is a far greater ability to communicate that message and I think you guys for I think no Megan I think I know it was your first podcast today but uh and Lynn you've you're, you're probably new to the scene as well but look you guys have done such a wonderful job uh communicating your the science that you've uh undertaken first up the science that you've done is really fantastic scientifically robust and really informative and really interesting and for that I really congratulate congratulate you. And uh, secondly, I just want to thank you very much for being on our show. It's been such a wonderful chat and I cannot wait to see what you guys do in the future. Oh, thank you so much. That's no, honestly, thank you so much. I mean, you guys are giving us a platform to, to speak about it again, you know, making it accessible. Thank you. Honestly, it's a massive, massive thing. Science communication is something I'm really passionate about and this has just been a wonderful opportunity. So yeah. Yeah, I, I second everything that Lou said. Um, thank you so much for having us on board today. It's been an absolute honor. I've, I mean, I was super excited to find out. Lou, you should have seen the messages she sent me through when she first got that email from Brad. She was just like, it was like all in caps. And they're like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And yeah, oh, how and embarrassing it, now for Lillian. <laughs> Brad's yeah, really talking about this. So look, we are lucky. And, and thank you for your kind words, but no, we are we are just a vehicle. We we just happen to set up a platform at the right time, and we we feel honoured getting to chat to amazing people on a regular basis, talking about stuff that does you, you get off. And we chat every like once we get off tonight, we'll ring, we'll have a debrief. It might be for two minutes, might be for five minutes. It depends on how cool you are, but we'll let you know. <laughs> but, we'll talk for hours. But but most of the time, <laughs> you got you got Oh no, but most of the time we get off, we're like, 
Jesus. You know, I just didn't know that, you know. So yeah, totally. thank you for, for from all our listeners. And we do have nearly 30,000 listeners to date and um, growing pretty quickly. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.